as we look at the story, a familiar one to so many of us, that the words would just be alive to us. That we'd see their meaning, see their intent. That they would do their powerful work of equipping, challenging, encouraging, rebuking, all those things. Whatever we have need of today, I pray Your Word would do it. And that we could receive it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you grab a Bible and go to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, you can, you're welcome to take the one in front of you home with you as our gift to you. So we're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them, that would be two, two random disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them, and he said to them, What's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped... He was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I love this story. 
And I think it's important for us because it's a story about what happens right after the resurrection. Like, like right after Jesus rises, this is what happens. This is a story that is instructive for us. It's there for a reason. What do we do now that we live in light of the resurrection? You've got two guys. One's named Cleopas. The other guy doesn't get named. I bet he's in heaven right now saying, what in the world, right? <laughs> and Cleopas is going, that's me. <laughs> and they're walking on the road. And, and they're sad, you know, they're downcast. They're going through all of these different emotions because they probably saw Jesus crucified and they knew he was buried and now his body is gone and they've heard reports, but they just don't believe it. And they're going through all of these, these ranges of emotions. It's, it's doubt. It's, it's despair. It's disillusionment. It's discouragement. All of these things are going through their minds. And they're struggling. Have you been there? Have you wrestled? They're, they're sad. And Jesus, it says, He just kind of walks in among them. What are you guys talking about? And, and, and they share. Well, haven't you heard? Are you the only guy that doesn't know what's happened these last few days? And they share the story. And then Jesus gives them this correction. Oh, oh foolish ones, you were, you were slow to believe. Did, didn't you know? See, they had hoped that Jesus, the king, would, would become king of Israel, and, and that meant take over, you know, and overthrow Rome and, and become the ruling king, the physical king on the throne of David. We were hoping he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. That was our hope. And the problem is, they had misunderstood Jesus. They didn't get it. The problem was their perception. They didn't recognize him when he came up on the road. They didn't recognize what he was supposed to be doing. Perception's a problem for us at times. Even perceiving who God is, what he's like. We'll put up a quote by A.W. Tozer. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Close your eyes for a second. When it comes to God, what do you think? Close your eyes, it's okay. What, what comes to mind when you think about God? You can open them. J.B. Phillips wrote a classic Christian book. It was published in 1952 called Your God is Too Small. And in that book, Phillips, what he wants to do is show all of the, the, the wrong conceptions of God. Images of God that we have that are not true. And that may lead to our distress, just like those two disciples that were walking towards Emmaus. They didn't understand that this was going to be a suffering God. A king on the cross. One who doesn't just smashes enemies, but, but, but loves them. But loves them. And, and what Phillips does in his book, he, he outlines like, I think, 12 different versions of God. I'm not going to do all 12 today, but I kind of, I read through them, and I'm thinking about them, and I want to give you kind of a summary of them. Okay? We're, we're going to boil them down to six or seven. Alright? 
Number one is the God in a box. The God in a box. Uh, a name for the Jack in the box. I'm sorry, kids, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Sorry. You're too busy playing uh, Xbox. Um, you know, the box, and, and you wind the, the, the little lever on the side, and then it pops out, you know. The Jack in the box pops out. It's not just a restaurant either. Uh, it's, boy, this thing is just driving me crazy. Um, we'll see. Um, so, uh, God in the box goes like this. Um, different churches, and I'm not naming names, different denominations tend to act like their structures, their traditions, the way they do things, is really the only way you can get in touch with God. You've got to do it our way, because that church down the street, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have our traditions. And you're like, well, well, show me the traditions in the Bible. Well, you're not going to find them in the Bible, but, but you've got to do it our way. You know? And, and, and we interpret the Bible in, in a very particular way. And if you don't agree with us, you're all going to hell. Our church is right. Yours is wrong. If you want to get close to God, you've got to do it like us. Because when we wind up the jack-in-the-box, the God-in-the-box, he shows up. And other churches don't have those mechanisms, those traditions like us. They don't have the God-in-the-box. You're not going to find him there. You've got to come here. We're the saved ones. Anybody been a part of that church? The next one. This next one's policeman God. I think uh, Phillips uses the word uh, policeman in his, in his writings. Policeman God is, is the God that demands absolute perfection. And he's the one that's keeping a tally every single time you sin and you feel the shame, you feel the blame, and you feel like every time you do something wrong, he's up in, up in the sky shaking his head at you, disappointed, frustrated at you. Couldn't possibly love you in that moment because you've messed up. He is the policeman God and he's got his moral radar out trying to catch you speeding. He's just trying to see what you're going to do that's wrong. He's the perfectionist God. And some of you, you have that tape recorder that reminds you every day what you've done over and over again. And maybe you thought that was God playing that tape recorder over and over again. I mean, you've asked forgiveness many times, but it just keeps playing and playing and playing and playing. You've got policeman God who's not God at all. Sometimes policeman God plays itself out a little differently. In some churches, policeman God goes like this. You can't possibly attend a movie because people might see you in there and think you're going to a rated R movie. And you can't possibly dance because then you're shaking your body and that's not right. And, you know, and, and we create rules, rules that you don't see in the Bible, but we create the rules. And it's someone's conscience playing out in your life because it's on their conscience. They want you to do what they want you to do. It's policeman God. And if you break that rule, if we see you in that theater, if we see you dancing, if we see you taking that drink, we're coming after you because you can't do that. Policeman God is here. Next. Oh, there's parental hangover God. You know this one's going to be good. Parental hangover God is when you read into God whatever your experience with your, what your parents were like. Did you have an absent father? 
well then God feels very, very far away. Did you have a domineering mother? Well then God seems like He's always coming down on you. And He's always being rough with you. Did your parents disappoint you? Well then certainly God is a God of disappointments because look at all the ways He hasn't come through for you. It's parental hangover, God. You read into God whatever you happened in your family. The next. There's old man God. Now, old man God is when you ask little kids, what's your view of God? And they say, he's an old man with a beard in the sky. Have you heard that one? And, and the problem with old man God is, I mean, it's like he's like the guy in the Sistine Chapel, you know, reaching out to you, right? It's old man God. He's in our art. And he's in our minds. Old man God is way too old-fashioned. And whatever commands he has in the Bible, I mean, really, it's out of touch for today. You'll never be able to make this relevant to what we're going through today. Because it's old man God. He's kind of grumpy. He's kind of distant. You don't really go to him in need because he's, he's far Far away. The next. There's Mr. Nice Guy God. This is the opposite of Mr. Grumpy God. Mr. Nice Guy God is like, uh, when we think of Jesus, and some of this has to do with movies I think we've watched. I, I think at least. You, you see some Jesus movies and sometimes he seems like such a pushover, you know, that, that like if, if you walked by Jesus and you bumped into him, he'd probably fall down and say, I'm very sorry, you know. And, and, you know, this is the Jesus that you could easily beat up if you wanted to, you know. He's not powerful. He's not strong. There, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing dangerous about him. He's not going to say anything to rock the boat. He's Mr. Nice Guy God. And, and the problem is a lot of men have this conception of the church too. Because when they think of Jesus, they think, this guy just wants me to be nice. Just be nice. Say a good word, and you've done your manly duty. You know, and it's like, what? Is that all I'm called to as a man of God? To be nice? What about, what about a challenge? What about something to fight for? What about convictions that I'm going to press into? Not Mr. Nice Guy God. Our kids look at Mr. Nice Guy God, and they think, well... I know a lot of athletes that have developed in diverse, uh, 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 difficulty through pain. They, they've won games and won championships, and we hold up our heroes because they have persevered through the difficulty and come out on top. They've been to the bottom, and we celebrate them. And Jesus just seems like, no, he's not a hero. He's a pushover. The next one. The God of all roads. Uh, the God of all roads is, that goes after the saying, all roads lead to God. Like, pick your religion. You want to be Buddhist? You want to be Hindu? You want to be Muslim? Allah and Yahweh, close enough to me. It's this conception that, that in every religion there is the truth. And you just pick one and you're going to find your way to God. That it doesn't matter if they're called differently, if they're described differently, if some of their attributes are diametrically opposed to one another, it doesn't matter. They're all going to lead to the same guy. Even if you think of those guys as very different. The God of all roads. 
which is not a true God at all. One more maybe? Oh yeah, Santa Claus God. Ho, ho, ho. Santa Claus God. Santa Claus God, uh, He's there for you when you need Him. But really, He exists to help you. He exists to give you gifts. He exists to make you healthy and wealthy. He's Santa Claus God. He's going to do something good for you today. But Santa Claus God, uh, if you don't need anything, you don't think about Him. You just don't need Him until you need Him. And then you call on Him, and He comes through, and you say, thank you, Santa Claus God. You got me through this. Next time I have a problem, I'll think of you again. Now, Phillips, what he wants to do in his book... By the way, how many how many would say one of these gods was your God growing up? You felt like one of those probably hit the mark. Yeah, some of you. The rest are still in denial. We'll pray about that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Phillips wants to say this in his book. He says, when you become an adult, you've got to leave these childish notions of God behind because they were never real to begin with. Yeah, they may have had a snippet of truth in them, but they're not the real, the real view of God, the real truth about God. And so you can leave them behind and say, I don't need that. I don't even have to look at that anymore. I'm done because that was not the true God. That was something else. That was a distortion. And, and I'm going to look at the Bible and I'm going to see who the true God is. We've been saying the last couple messages that Jesus is a different kind of king, bringing a different kind of kingdom. He's a surprising king. How does he describe himself to these two guys? And they don't even know who he is yet. If you look at your Bibles again, Luke 24, verse 26. Jesus is trying to explain to them, well, 25, He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I want to focus in on that phrase. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's kind of like if you read your Bible... You guys would know from Isaiah that the servant of God is a suffering servant. If you read your Bible, you would know this about the Christ. You would know God in this way. But you're so foolish and you don't believe it. You're doubting it. What he says is the Christ had to suffer. And as we said on Good Friday, what Jesus shows us is this king rules not by the love of power, but by the power of love. He rules from the cross and says, my kingdom is about other people, loving other people. That's what you're called to do. Give your life for others. Don't be so focused on self. This is the message of the cross to us. He's a different kind of king and he reigns from the cross. But it also says in this verse 24, 25, he will enter into his glory. Now think about this. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go back to my Father in heaven in glory. I'm going back to heaven. And now I'm going to rule from heaven. 
Jesus is the king of the world. He is ruling from heaven. And to be at the right hand of God is to be in a place of privilege, a high position. He's ruling. Now think about this. And think about the point of this story, this road to Emmaus story. Jesus says, didn't you know the king had to suffer and then enter into his glory? This is the king. When you think of important people today, when you think of celebrities, when you think of the president, you can't just go talk to that person. You can't walk up to the doors of the White House and knock, knock, knock. I have some concerns about our country. Can I talk to the guy in charge here? It doesn't work that way. And maybe some of you have driven around, you know, ritzy neighborhoods. Maybe you've driven around Beverly Hills and you saw where some famous actor or actress lives in the million-dollar mansions there. So many of them. And you looked outside, but I tell you what, you didn't get up to the door. I'll promise you that. Because there's a gate around it. Maybe they have security because they're wealthy, they're well-known, and so you can't get in there. This is what happens when people are important, when they're in positions of power or positions of privilege. And Jesus is saying, I've got all of that. I'm the king of glory. The king of heaven, a place of beauty and perfection. That's who I am. I'm the most important person who's ever lived. And yet, I've got all the time to have a walk with you while you're in your discouragement and doubt. You see that? You would never get lunch with the president if you asked. Huh, maybe, maybe, maybe you'd get really lucky, but probably not. But, but the king of glory says, I just want to have a walk with you. I want to have a talk with you. I want to spend time with you. This is our problem. We go through times of disillusionment, despair, doubt, defeat, discouragement. You've been there and I've been there. Some people are walking there right now, even now as they're sitting here. You've felt these things. And the king says to you, I want to join you in that. I want to walk right up into your conversation. Who invited Jesus into these two guys as they're talking? Who invited him into that? He just, he just entered in. He wants to be right in there with them. And he wants to enter in with you and clear up your misperceptions about who he is, about what he wants to do in your life. He comes right in. So, I'd like to give some words of application to this. How does Jesus break through our false perceptions? I mean, these guys are clueless. They're walking there talking to Jesus. They have no idea. How does Jesus break through that? How would he break through in your life? Let me offer a few ideas. Number one, the Word of God. You see, because if I'm Jesus... And I walked into these two guys' conversation. Why are you guys so sad? Why the low faces? Oh, you know, he died and they said the tomb was empty, but we don't, you know, we just don't believe it. You know, I'd be like, hello? You know, I'm Jesus. I'm the guy they're looking for. I'm the guy. Like, that's just what I would do. That'd be the straightest route to get to the point, right? But Jesus doesn't go that route. 
he goes by it a different route. You know how when you're in math class, here's a flashback, and, and you had some sort of equation in front of you, and you knew the answer, you could, just, you could just spout it off, you know, X equals whatever, and you could just say it, but then your teacher says, I want to see the work. I want to see the work. Show me how you got there. And this is what Jesus did. It says, He showed them in the Bible all the things concerning Himself and Moses and the prophets. He said, hey, look, in Genesis, it says somebody's going to stomp on that serpent's head. That's me. That's me. And, and, and somebody's going to fulfill the law. There's going to be a prophet like Moses that's going to come. That's me. And Isaiah says it's going to be a suffering servant. Hello, people. That is me, too. And he showed them all these verses, and they just didn't get it. But I love that Jesus showed the work. He didn't just say X equals Jesus. That's the answer. He said, let me show you in the Bible. So, so this is it. There's a reason this is number one on my list, by the way. This tells you about Jesus. This shows you who He is. And I know you don't understand it well enough. I know I don't get it well enough. Let me tell you something. you ever felt stupid about the Bible? I got a great one. One time I was taking a college tour. Um, I was doing college tours for some students in the youth ministry. And I went to, uh, I went to Trinity in uh, Deerfield, Illinois. And I went to Moody Bible Institute, my school. And I set it on Bible introduction class. At least one of you has been in that class in this room. Um, I know that. Dr. Sauer, great professor, excellent teacher, uh, started his class every day with a great devotional, usually on dating. I think he thought we needed it. And, uh, but, 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 but what he loved to do in class is he loved to call on students' names out of the blue. Have you been there, you know? So I, and he would call you by your last name. So it was, Mr. Philia, could you tell us the answer to this question? You know. And then he had a very unique way of pointing out you were wrong. I'll get to that in a minute. So, uh, I was taking a college tour with students from my youth ministry and we're at Moody and we're sitting in this class and he's teaching the class and he asks the question, how many books are in the Old Testament? Mr. Philia, how many books are in the Old Testament? Oh. And you know, you can't, you shouldn't wait too long otherwise you feel even stupider. So you might as well just take a shot in the dark and stand on it, you know? 37! No. Oh, no, that's not what he says, though. He never says no. He always says, class, is that right? <laughs> and then you know you failed. You know you blew it. You're an idiot. That's me. And uh, it's all my students that I brought with me are like looking at me like, you're our pastor, really? <laughs> yeah, that's me. I, that's me. Um, and I think the answer is 39, I, I think. Um, <laughs> 66 books in the Bible, I believe 39 are Old Testament. And, and, of course, somebody in the class raised their hand and they got it. And I felt like an idiot, you know. Uh, and he made some sort of joke about how I graduated from that school, right? You know, and I don't know. It was, it was funny. Today it's funny. Um, but I've been there, you know, and I felt like the idiot that doesn't get it well enough. And Jesus says to these two disciples, You're, you foolish ones, you know, you don't get it. So, so dig in. Dig in to the Bible because that's where you're going to see Jesus. And if you don't believe in him yet... There's a reason why Jesus goes there first to show his work. It's not just X equals Christ. Let's see how we got here. You can go back and look. Number two. So there's this pivotal moment when Jesus and the two guys get to Emmaus, Cleopas and the other guy, whoever he is. Um, and uh, 
Jesus acts like he's going to go further, and, and then the guys say, hey, why don't you just stay with us? It's getting late. It's getting dark. Come on, stay with us. And uh, Jesus stays for dinner. And over dinner, it says he broke bread and he blessed it, and their eyes were open, and they realized this is Jesus. But, but I want to just get to the invitation. There was something about Jesus where they knew they needed more. They weren't sure who he was yet. He hadn't revealed himself yet. They were still partially clueless. But they knew there was something there, and they had to have more. And so they invited him to dinner. Stay with us. Eat with us. Listen. Listen. You want to know Jesus? Seek him out. And he will be found. There's a famous verse in Jeremiah, if we can get that up. Jeremiah 29:13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a similar one in Revelation with Jesus standing at the door and knocking. If you hear his voice and you open the door, he comes in to eat with you and you with him. Jesus, the king, wants to be near you. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you. He wants to give you hope. The question is, are you seeking? Are you looking? Are you looking for him? Number three, there's the experience of burning. Uh, when Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were open and they realized it was him. And they said, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking to us on the road? Listen, we, when Jesus is trying to get your attention, there is something going on in your heart. There's something in there that says, this is true. I need this. This needs to be my faith. I need to take this personally. I need to walk in this. There's experience of burning. Uh, same professor I was talking about earlier in that class, he had a very, very strong southern accent. I mean, I'm not going to try to do it. Very strong, though. And uh, invariably, people would imitate him in, in, in the expressions he would say in class. Um, and... Uh, Remember one time I was in the lunch line? I was in the lunch line, and one of my friends was standing right here next to me in line. It was a pretty good line. I forget what they were serving, but it was a pretty good line. And my friend was doing his Dr. Sauer impression. He was doing the southern accent and the drawl, you know, and, and saying the kind of things he would say in class. And then I was like, he's like standing two behind you. He's like right behind you. And he really was, you know, and the guy turned, he's like, you know, oh my goodness, he's like right there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been talking about somebody and they're like right there? You've got to have had that experience. It's a great one, you know, because all the blood rushes to your head. My ears get red. You know, you want to see if Niall's embarrassed, if the ears turn red, that's embarrassment right there, you know. You got me. Um, and, and you've all had that moment where you're having that conversation. There he is. And I think about these two guys walking to Emmaus. And Jesus is like right there. And they're talking about him. And they're saying they don't believe that he's alive. You know, how stupid do you feel at that point? But something in their heart's going, this is for real. Something's going on here. God's, God's getting your attention. That's what he does. Pay attention to that. Especially when you hear the, when you read the word. As Jesus was explaining himself in the word, they were feeling that. And then fourthly and lastly, um, how does Jesus break through and let us know? Um, the story of the encounter. 
the story of the encounter. What is the first thing? I mean, those guys that were going to Emmaus, they were going to spend the night there. They're like, Jesus, it's late. I mean, they didn't know what Jesus said. It's late. You, you, you should stay with us tonight, you know. But as soon as they found out it was Jesus, they went the six to eight miles back to Jerusalem. You know, they, they just left. They were supposed to be camped out for the night, and instead they went back to tell everybody that they'd seen him. That is excitement. And the reason that's in this story is this, this reason. You that believe in Christ, you need to share your story. And when you share your story, well, take a look at what happens in the Scripture. I'll show it to you. Verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. He must love doing that. You know, you're talking about Jesus. He just shows up. Think about that. You're just talking about Jesus and he shows up. He just shows up. You that know Christ, you have a story. I love telling my story. I I love telling. I mean, think about this. Think about how we do in this life. One of my favorite stories to tell is how I met Christy. I didn't talk to her that day. I didn't even know who she was. But I was at Old Country Buffet, and I'm eating, you know, and I'm getting hungry. And I see this girl over here. She's also eating. And I happened to walk up at the same time she was walking up. And we were both piling on the mashed potatoes. Oh, man. To this day, our kids call them the mashed potatoes of love. I'm not kidding. But I was way too shy, and I didn't say a word. I did not say a word to her that day. It was only weeks later when I was at the same wedding. We were singing in the same wedding, and I looked at her, and like, I know who this is. And, 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 and Chrissy's mother looks at me. I know that guy. You were looking at him in Old Country Buffet. Oh, yeah. And our love for mashed potatoes has never failed us. It's never failed us. It is the common, it is the bond of this marriage. What's for dinner? <laughs> and there's a picture of us at our wedding. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. There is, I didn't plan this. There's a picture of us at our wedding. And we're, and we're at this buffet line and we're both looking at the mashed potatoes. If you're ever at my house, I'm going to show you the picture. I, it, that is absolutely true. Potatoes of love. So I'm just telling you, I love sharing that story. If you've sat down with me for dinner, you've probably heard that story before. You've got a story about Jesus and how you met him, you that know him. It's a good story. It doesn't have to be dramatic. You didn't have to be a, a nasty you know, person and you didn't have to be a drug dealer. You didn't have to be in prison. You just got a story and Jesus made himself real and you've got to tell that story. Because when you tell that story, Jesus magically just shows up. Do you see it in the text? We saw him. He was on the road. He was really there. Yeah, right, guys. No, there he is. You know? He just shows up when you tell your story. So never discount what Jesus has done in your life because someone else needs to hear that so that they can meet Jesus too. Count on him just showing up in the middle of that story. I love Easter. 
I love the resurrection. This is the day of days for us. Maybe you're here because someone invited you here. And if that's the case, I want you to know that they invited you here because they like you probably. I I really don't think, if if they thought this was a pain and a chore and, and a terrible obligation, they wouldn't have brought you into it, okay? I know misery loves company, but they wouldn't have invited you into this. My guess is they invited you in because they care about you. And they wanted to hear Christ proclaimed with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? If this Jesus is becoming very real to you today, and maybe today you're feeling that heartburn, and it's not what you ate for breakfast, but it's a real thing, and it's Jesus getting your attention. And he's saying, I love you, but man, you've broken a lot of my commands. The good news is I died for you to pay for all those commands you broke. The good news is I paid for all your sins. You can trust me now. Let me forgive you. Follow me. I am alive. Would you pray a prayer like this in your heart if you need to respond to what you've heard today and receive Christ? Lord Jesus, today I feel you tugging on my heart. Today I've seen you just show up in an unexpected way. And so today, I confess, I have broken the commands. I have failed. But I see that in the middle of the failure, you love me in spite of it. And that you sacrificed yourself. The king sacrificed himself to pay for those sins. Today, Jesus, I receive that forgiveness. I want to spend the rest of my life now following you, the one who was dead, but now is alive forevermore. Help me follow you. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you keep your head?